Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thank you for joining us today. You know, Election Day is coming up fast. It is on Tuesday, November 7th. And I know that some of you are choosing to vote early. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what you will see on your ballot. And we're going to start today by talking about school board races. You know, school board elections used to be these sort of sleepy, down-the-ballot contests, but that's no longer the case. Our now polarized political environment and and culture wars, as they're called, are playing a role in who gets elected. School board candidates are being asked about their positions on book bans, the rights of parents, LGBTQ inclusion, and curriculum options. It can be a thorny, divisive mess. So in just a few minutes, I'll be talking with the executive director of the Minnesota School Boards Association, as well as a politics professor at the University of Minnesota. But first, I am chatting with two reporters from the NPR newsroom who can help set the stage for what this year's school board elections may look like. Elizabeth Schockman is a senior reporter who covers education for us. Good morning, Elizabeth. Morning. Nice to see you. And Dana Ferguson is a senior politics reporter for NPR News. Hi, Dana. Hey, good Hi. morning. Thank you for uh, leaving your work for just a moment to talk with us uh, on, the, on the live 9 a.m. talk show. Elizabeth, you've done uh, a few stories over the past year uh, about what is happening with school boards across Minnesota and school board elections. And they are definitely getting more attention. And so from what you've seen, what seems to be changing? This year, things are looking different in a couple of ways. For one, the amount of money school board candidates or the groups that support them are raising has increased quite a bit. Anecdotally, the candidates I've spoken to who are running for re-election this year say they are spending double or triple what they spent on their campaigns last time around. Part of that, they say, is inflation. But a lot of it is just these races are more competitive and everyone is feeling the need to keep up with their opponents, buying yard signs, hiring campaign managers, paying for advertising. It's an off year, so there are only about 30 districts with regularly scheduled school board elections on ballots, plus, of course, some districts with special elections to fill empty positions. That's about 100 open seats. Mm. But there are nearly 200 candidates running in some um, and, and in some places that looks like, you know, 11 people competing to fill three seats. So things are getting more intense, more competitive and more expensive. Yes, I'm seeing the yard signs uh, for school board. And, you know, Elizabeth, you've been reporting on groups that are starting to train school board candidates and endorse them. What's happening there? That's right. So there have long been um, teacher union endorsements in Minnesota. But Mm -hmm. until very recently, those endorsements only happened in a few districts. Now they're much more widespread. The unions say they're making more of these endorsements in reaction to a rise in candidates that they're concerned about. We've also seen um, different groups recruiting and training and in some cases endorsing candidates. So last year, the Minnesota Parents Alliance, which has connections and partnerships with conservative organizations, they launched. They are continuing that work this year, recruiting people, training them and endorsing him, endorsing them. This year, the School Board Integrity Project launched. Their leaders have done work with the DFL and National Democratic um, Candidates. They're also recruiting and training candidates. And while they're not endorsing candidates, they're inviting people to take pledges. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing this trend toward uh, school board elections becoming more partisan. Mm -hmm. More recruiting, more training. And, and, you know, what are some of the areas where we see disagreement? I mean, some real real opposing views among school board members. And then, then of course, I guess, school board candidates uh, for these seats as well. 
So I'm sort of in the middle of reporting on um, some of the conflicts and disagreements, the issues um, that people disagree on. I can tell you one thing many of the candidates I speak to agree on. They're concerned about the ways in which student academic achievement is declining. The most recent test data that we have shows only about half of Minnesota public school students are meeting or exceeding the state's grade level standards in reading and math. The candidates I've spoken to pretty unanimously see this as a problem, but the way that they want to address this issue varies a lot by candidate. So that's something I'm continuing to report on. And then we've also seen, you know, disagreement over, uh, you know, things like book bans, right? You, we've done some stories on that as well. That's right. So book bans, um, you know, are rising at a rapid pace in school districts around the country. Um, I looked at a situation in Bloomington where people in that community started a petition to ask the district to take about 30 books out of their school library. The petitioners described the books as, quote, sexually explicit. Some of the high school titles included um, Vladimir Nabokov's Lalita and Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. Others featured um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender characters or scenes involving sex. The elementary books on their list were not sexually explicit, but they did feature transgender characters, something the petition called, quote, concerning. When I spoke to a librarian about this, someone who leads the school library division of the Minnesota Library Association, she said that these sorts of requests are becoming more common. She said, you know, there have always been instances of parents raising concerns about, you know, one or two books, but now it's petitions or requests that include long lists of books most of them with LGBTQ themes or characters or characters or authors who are people of color. She said the people making these requests are using websites from organizations that rate books, sometimes by taking sexually explicit material out of context, or books that target, or, or they're targeting books, you know, exploring LGBTQ or racial themes. And Dana, when I was talking with my uh, group of producers, I was like, Let's uh, have some reporters come in. They're like, oh, yeah, we should get somebody from the politics team. I was like, the, you know, the folks covering the state legislature. And <laughs> so are you surprised that we're, we're that school board races are getting uh, this type of attention, that, that they are just really more interesting to follow and, and that more people are you know, choosing to jump in these races? Yeah, it was a little bit surprising for mm-hmm. me. And obviously, Elizabeth has covered this for a long time. She knows this issue extremely well. Um, earlier this year, she came to me and said, you know, we're just seeing things that are so different than we have in the past. And these themes are national. They're Mm -hmm. broader than just a district. And so, hey, can you tap in? Because there's just so much going on that we might need two people to cover just the vast expanse of everything out there. Yeah, it says a lot. And, you know, you reported uh, just yesterday uh, that conservative groups are encouraging uh, early voting, absentee voting in school board races. And so what are you seeing there? What are some ways uh, that conservative groups really are, you know, really pushing early voting this election cycle? Yeah, so we've seen more conservative groups that are making the case to their peers that it's really important to cast ballots early or absentee. Um, In the case of one of those individuals uh, who runs the conservative group American Majority here in Minnesota, she's put more than 38,000 miles on her car um, in less than a year trying to go out across the state and tell people, hey, uh, everything you've heard about early voting, that's not true. And also, please do it. Um, So we're hearing not just from her, but from more conservative groups uh, broadly that it's important to cast ballots early. Um, Folks on both sides of the aisle say it's just an effective use of money for campaigns if they don't have to be chasing somebody who's probably going to vote for them uh, down to the last possible day. If they can know that they banked your ballot really early, that's good for them. So despite what uh, top Republicans have said 
folks are coming around and they're saying, actually, no, this is safe. Please do it. It would really help us out. And we know because this, you know, is, is not a, a presidential election year, that typically means that you have just less interest and just much lower voter turnout. Does that tend to be the case? It does tend to be the case. Um, and I think that there are groups that are pretty aware of that. They know that if they drive out a certain threshold of their base voters, that they can make a big difference. They can win some of these school board seats, possibly flip them and get a majority on the school boards um, representing issues that they think are important. So um, even the littlest bit can make a difference. But these these are traditionally, again, nonpartisan racist school board seats. They are. Um, and so it's surprising to see more of the state parties or mm-hmm. very Republican leaning or Democratic leaning groups coming in and giving full force and saying, hey, support this person. We like them. So again, this is really different uh, than past elections. When we look at school boards and um, you know state political groups taking more of a role than we've seen in previous years in your experience. Yeah. Um, and both parties have said, you know, it's been trending in this direction for for a while, but with a lot of the national themes coming in mm-hmm. um, and more political groups latching onto these races, they just have to have more of a strong say or be recruiting and spending money in these very, very local races. Mm-hmm. Well, Dana, I'm glad you're available to, to back up Elizabeth. Uh, we've been talking with two of our reporters, uh, Elizabeth and Dana. Thank you for stopping by and updating us on the upcoming election again on November 7th. We've been talking with Elizabeth Shockman, one of our education reporters, and Dana Ferguson, who's on our politics team. Thank you. Thanks, Angela. Angela. Now, as we discuss the importance of school boards and the upcoming election on November 7th, uh, this hour, I want to hear from you too, our listeners. Our phone lines are open. Uh, I always love it when you join the conversation. So here are my questions. Have you ever served on a school board or are you thinking about running? What motivated you to enter the race if you did uh, choose to run? And if you're a parent who has attended uh, school board meetings, Have you ever approached your school board members with a question or a concern about your district? Tell us about your experience. Here are the numbers to call. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call us at 800-242-2828. I have two more guests now to bring into the conversation. Kirk Schneiderwind is the executive director of the Minnesota School Boards Association. He's joining us from Mankato this morning. Welcome to the program, Kirk. Good morning, Angela, and thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. And Larry Jacobs is on the line as well. He's a politics professor at the University of Minnesota and director of the Center for the Study of Politics and Governance at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs there at the U. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Good to be with you. All right. So let's get started. Kirk, first, tell us about the Minnesota School Boards Association. What do you all do and who benefits from what you offer? Well, we do a lot, Angela. I think that uh, anybody who's been a school board member or on a school board understands the value and importance that we bring to our members. And so really the core of what we do is really about training our board members to become not just individual. Yes, we train individual board members with the goal of a school board operating at a high, high level. And so we maintain that you're building strong boards. Um, You're going to be build strong, a stronger Minnesota. And so we do that through board training. Um, we also do it in uh, through helping our school boards and school districts through policy development. And that means local school district policy. 
And then a, a third area that we also spend a great deal of time that our members expect from us is to advocate for our public schools. And that's a, around, um, you know, predictable, stable, equitable funding for our school districts, um, as well as also providing um uh, giving providing our school districts a great deal of flexibility at the local level um, to implement programs and opportunities for their students. So those are the three big core areas mm-hmm. we do. But we also um, many of one of the key responsibilities for any school board is the hiring of their superintendent and their CEO, uh, their individual who is going to lead the district. And so one of the key couple of key elements that we also um, weigh in on is helping our boards uh, hire their superintendent. Mm-hmm. And then a second program that we also offer is around strategic planning to help our school boards um, kind of set the vision for the community and give some direction to uh, the community and the board and the and the staff on uh, the direction the school district is going to go. So those are kind of the key elements that, are, that the association provides for our members. So it sounds like you're trying to set uh, school board members up for success by really educating them like this is what you need to know and able to do a good job. Angel, that's exactly right. right. I mean, that's exactly right. But yes. And then is it individual school districts have to, to opt into this? It's not every school board in the state. Is that correct? Well, well, I would say that no. I, I would say that all 331 of our public school districts are members of the association. So, okay. just mm-hmm. like any other, whether it's a bankers association or the corn growers association, individuals and or in this case school boards join our association because they see the value that the association provides in the key areas of training, policy, legal work, advocacy, all that they want. Mm-hmm. And now, Kirk, you're someone who is in contact uh, with new school board members and, and maybe some you know older school board members or folks who've been in, in this for a long time. What changes have you noticed uh, in the last few years and who's running for these seats and, 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 and why? Well, I would say that there's always been an interest in running for school board. I think um, our 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 communities, our citizens understand the importance and value of public education in the lives of, of Minnesota students. And so there's always been this, uh, an interest. I think, you know, coming out of pandemic, um, when there was a lot of uncertainty around the role and responsibility of our schools and who was governing them and who was leading them um, and, you know, the virtual learning experience, um, I think one of the things is that that people um, who maybe not were not really aware of what was happening in their schools, we're now seeing it in their homes. And so I think that part of it um, has generated more interest um, in what's happening in our schools. And so I think it's a good thing that we have people interested, but we also need to have people who are interested in serving for the good of the school district too, and mm-hmm. and not individual-specific issues, but the collective good for all of their kids and for all of the district. And Kirk, you heard our our reporters, Elizabeth and Dana, talk about some of the changes that they have seen in recruiting and training and, you know, uh, groups with, you know, maybe uh, political stands, uh, recruiting and training people, trying to encourage people to run for school boards. Have you seen that as well? Angela, yes, right? I mean, I think they've done, your reporters do a great job of, 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 
finding that information. I think one of the things that we um, have seen over that is is a couple groups and some national groups get involved in in local races through fundraising. And I think um, even at the local level, when you talk to board members, and I can confirm this, is that they are spending more money. Um, they feel they are feeling that. Uh, they need to weigh in more and, and develop some committees to help them get elected. So um, I think that at the end of the day, right, the, the, there's nothing more fundamental than the education of our public school students, right? I mean, there's nothing. And so it's very, very important that um, at the end of the day that, that not only is the electorate or the community informed of the vision of the individual school board candidates, and they can do that through um, the League of Minnesota Voters or League of Women Voters. They have holding forums for those local elections. So those pieces, because because they alluded to this, right, we're in an off-year election, um, and many of our school districts choose that because they want to shine a light on the school board race, mm-hmm. city council race, whatever that local local government race may be. And so I so the due diligence part of that for our community members is to make sure that they are understanding who the candidates are and what their vision is for their public schools. Now, Larry, you're a political analyst in addition to being a a professor of politics. And what stands out to you uh, so far and what you've heard in the conversation about the changes that we're seeing in school board races? We're talking about it. I mean, not that long ago. Right. The attention. Yeah, I mean, not that long ago, there's no way we'd be talking about school board races. You you would be, you know, uh, saying, what? Why are we wasting our time on this? But, you know, in a time of hyperpolarization, when the parties are so far apart on everything, it's not that surprising that education, K-12 education, uh, school activities would become pulled into that. And yes, I agree with Kirk that the uh, COVID probably pushed that along a little bit, but it's been coming. Um, it's now flowering, though. It's, it's very intense, and it covers a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the pandemic, the pandemic we know exposed a lot of things, but we really saw, uh, you know, the, the I guess the the true value and power of school board members as they were making, uh, having to make some really critical decisions about what was happening with distance learning, but also the curriculum um, as we also were going through this racial reckoning. Exactly, and I think that's one of the issues. I mean, Kurt makes a very strong case that we should be doing only what. Uh, advances our students' learning and education. And, you know, I think at 50,000 feet, we all agree with that. But now we've got debates on what does that mean and who gets to make those decisions? And we've got, you know, organized groups and uh, parents now who are stepping up saying, wait a second, you know, bringing race or uh, sexual identity into the classroom is a distraction or is um, politicizing. Uh, what should not be happening. Um, and I think we see that actually around the debate over why are our students not performing better? Mm-hmm. And there's one side that says, well, you know, students need to feel comfortable. They need to be seen. They need to be welcome. And that requires, you know, greater sensitivity, to sexual identity and race. Uh, but the conservative school board members are saying, no, that should not be there. It's a distraction. It's squandering resources that should only be on math and reading um, and, 
you know, these issues should be left for the home. So this is a very intense debate. It's Mm-hmm. about as basic as you can get. Well, something that really has captured my attention is really um, how people view the rights of parents, parents' rights, that parents are getting more vocal. And you really often see this play out at school board meetings. And so, Larry, what could you say about even that debate? Like how involved uh, should parents be and how much of a voice should parents have in the decisions that school boards and administrators are, are making? Well, obviously, Parents have, you know, they are the driver of their their children's education. I think that's it's apparent to anyone who's been a parent or studied this issue. But there's there now debates over okay, what does that actually mean? Do parents get to kind of dictate or influence what materials are in in a classroom? Uh, What materials are being uh, used? You know, what if a a book for a middle school reader um, has lesbian or gay or bisexual characters. Is that okay? Um, and so I think we've seen really a big development in, in this argument that parent rights is actually very detailed and kind of punctures, uh, you know, the, the teaching plan um, that might be going on in an individual classroom. That's what's happening now, and uh, it's a big debate. I, I had in the education secretary from Virginia, Amy Gadara. Um, and you may remember Governor Yunkin ran on a parents' rights uh, agenda. Um, he won uh, in, a, in a year when many thought a Democrat would win. And this has been the focal point of uh, his administration is empowering parents. And it's meant withdrawing books. It's meant uh, not allowing teachers to talk about many of these issues, pulling back on any um, diversity, equity, inclusion uh, investments by the uh, Department of Education um, and investing all that in, in improving performance. All right. I want to bring our, our listeners into the conversation. We're talking about uh, local races and who's running for a seat on the school board and why and why it matters. Election day in two and a half weeks. And uh, some of you will find these school board races on your ballot. So we're taking your phone calls and I'm asking, have you ever served on a school board or are you thinking about running for a school board seat? What is motivating you? And if you're a parent uh, who has attended school board meetings, what's been your experience approaching and talking with your school board representatives. Call us at 651-227-6000, or you can call us at 800-242-2828. I'm talking to uh, politics professor Larry Jacobs there at the University of Minnesota, as well as Kirk Schneiderwand, who is the executive director of the Minnesota School Boards Association. Let's take some phone calls from listeners. Uh, in Prior Lake, we've got Lisa on the phone. Good morning, Lisa. What did you want to share with us about school boards? Oh, good morning. Hi. I um, thank you for um, taking my call. I uh, was elected to serve on the Prior Lake Savage School Board um, in 2022. Um, I'd never had ever dreamed that I would run for school board. Um, but I, you know, after a year of going to school board meetings and standing at the podium and feeling like my voice wasn't heard, um, I was asked actually by several of the, the school board directors who served on our school board, um, to, to consider running. And I guess, you know, our board did not have a lot of diversity of thought prior to me um, being elected. And so um, I, I think, you know, our community felt for a long time that the school board all, you know, voted 7-0 on the majority of issues. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
you know, just adding some diversity of thought to the conversation. And I have parents in our, our I am sorry, I have students in our school district. I had three kids. I currently have a freshman in our high school. And I have seen a major change on how the school was being run, particularly when it becomes to when it comes to attendance and behavior. And so what did you was that that was the big motivating factor? And, and what have you found uh, being part of the school board? Uh, are you feeling like your voice is being heard? Or are you uh, is it what you expected it to be the discussions and meetings? Um, you know what, it's been great, to be honest with you. Um, I think that I bring, I definitely bring um, a different perspective. And but I've also been able to bring to light things that maybe our district isn't doing that um, they should be doing. And one in particular is regard to our curriculum committee. Um, we actually did not have any community members on our curriculum committee. And Minnesota state statute states that you have to have two-thirds parent and community members. So by challenging that, um, we reworked our charters and we were able to bring in um, some community members and a robust group of parents. And now we have a really great, diverse group of parents and community members um, and admin and teachers with over 35 people attending our last curriculum meeting. And it, it was some, some really great discussions had. So I really truly believe by having diverse perspectives on our school board, um, it's going to make our, our school um, stronger. And Lisa, give me, you know, sort of behind the scenes, are, are your conversations civil or do you have some, some heated debates at time? Um, honestly, I mean, you know, I would say, you know, I, I do get pushback from, um, you know, my current board. Um, but I would say the, the praise and the rewards that I get from the community members and the parents and teachers um, for bringing my voice to the table, for bringing their voice really to the table is, um, is, is, is overwhelming, to be honest with you. I was elected with the most votes of anyone in our district. And, um, and, and like I said, I bring a different um, perspective. We live in a, a conservative district. And so um, by having a conservative voice on the board, I know that, um, like I said, I know it's, it's highly appreciated. All right. That's uh, Lisa there in Prior Lake. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for calling in. Um, Larry, our reporter, uh, Dana Ferguson, spoke about uh, conservative groups encouraging uh, people to get out and vote early. Uh, what else are conservative voices in Minnesota saying about school board seats? What are you seeing and hearing there? Well, I think you're hearing it from Lisa. I mean, she was active, which is the most, just the first and most important step in, um, in, in putting together um, a political presence, which is recruiting candidates and recruiting quality candidates. So she was appearing at school board meetings. She was recruited to run mm-hmm. and she ran. And she apparently did very well with all the votes she received. Um, there's now money coming into Minnesota to help those candidates. The races are becoming more expensive. Um, they're requiring, you know, advertising and door drops with literature um, in a way that didn't happen even you know, a short while ago. Um, so this all this all kind of fits. Um, also, I think, you know, the issues she's tapping in are very, you know, these are highly contested questions um, about, yes, of course, we, we believe in diversity of thought. Um, but her perspectives are not those of many other Minnesotans who you know, may be offended or hurt by by some of the arguments that that she's making and and her supporters. So this is an example of the polarization in our country that's now kind of infiltrated our school boards.
Yeah, I, I, I feel like I had, um, you know, when I, I think about school board elections, you know, prior to the last maybe four years that, oh, yeah, it's like these are people who are getting together, who care about education, who are really focused on, you know, uh, you know, the best interest of the children and improving, you know, uh, test scores and reading. And um, but the news coverage you see about school board meetings now seems to be about other things. Have you noticed that as well? Oh, yeah. No, the, the, the issues that we see being, you know, Governor DeSantis's presidential campaign, if you listen to what he's talking about um, regards to his education legislation in Florida, it has a lot of similarities to what's being talked about in Minnesota by the conservative groups that are now recruiting candidates and supporting them. Um, this is a national movement, and it's got strong legs in Minnesota. And we're likely to see more and more school boards that are, um, you know, diverse in political perspective and more and more fights uh, like the lively the debates, news lively debates, right. or actually lively in some debates. cases fights. We have seen fights. Right. We have seen fights. Yeah. I, I think what's really just uh, so fascinating about this is not that long ago, this was kind of the sleepy part of our public life. These were the do-gooders. Uh, they almost never got attention. My mom was on a school board and she she worked a long job, but, mm-hmm. you know, she would go there, put in her couple hours a month, and they would work on nitty-gritty issues about money and, um, you know, trying to help the schools. Uh, now it's become kind of another contested part of our public life. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, they're in Rosemont. We've got Taylor on the line. Good morning, Taylor. What did you want to tell us about school boards? Oh, we just lost Taylor. Let's keep going. In Alexandria, uh, up north, we can go up north to Alexandria and talk to Laura. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for calling in. What do you want to tell us about school board positions? Good morning. Thanks Hi. for having a, this discussion. It's great. Um, I am also a new school board member and was inspired to run after attending school board meetings for quite a few years. Um, I think I'm also adding a, a new voice to our board, which I think is a positive thing. Um, in our area, um, we have been losing enrollment, and in my personal belief, public education, free quality public education made our country great. So we need to protect that enrollment by providing um, what parents want in their schools and making sure that it's a safe place and that everybody feels welcome and um, that we keep enrollment because when enrollment's down, that that takes away money from our public schools. And Laura, any uh, strong feelings about what is leading to that decline in enrollment or what is something that's very important uh, for you to bring forth in these meetings, these school board meetings? I think it's multifaceted. I think proficiency rates dropping is is part of it. I think um, maybe some of the politicalization of schools is part of it. You know, when we talk about book banning, that's really a polarized word. There are, like, I did a search on Barnes & Noble. There are 33,000 young adult titles. Like, there's only so much space on our shelves in our our schools. We have to choose books. So making sure those books reflect the community and um, are not – are not making it parents feel like their children are going to be sexualized when they're dropped off at public schools is super important. So you have some concerns about some of the books uh, that are being used in your school district? 
Yes, and for me, it's not it's not about limiting the voices or perspectives. It's really about the explicit nature of some of these books and making sure that, you know, our culture has been sexualizing children in an increasing way, and we need to make sure that our public schools are not participating in that. I know it's controversial, but I think it's very important that we have these conversations and you know, listen to each other calmly. It can get heated, but, mm-hmm. you know, having these conversations, I think, are going to make stronger public schools. All right. That's uh, Laura and Alexandria. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Kirk, we think about the train, training that the Minnesota School Boards Association offers. Where does this topic of choosing books, where does that come in? What advice do you all offer school board members in, in that area? So, Angela, I think one of the things that's really important to kind of take a a little bit of a back step here is that, you know, our school boards um, represent the vision and values of their communities. I think that's a really important point, their communities, in such a way that they create the conditions to improve student outcomes. And I think that is one of the beauties of school boards is, right, as the community is electing six or seven people and those six and seven, six or seven people need to operate as a governing body, just like a house or Senate, smaller city council, whatever it is. And so they need to be able to represent the community's interests. And, and it's not just certainly individuals are part of those communities, but that is the balance and challenge and the opportunities for our boards is they hear from parents and concerned citizens about what perhaps is in front of them. And so I think that I think that needs to be part of the context. I think also, you know, as we think about uh, our school boards, I think campaigning is a different skill set than governing. And I think that's an important element for the for our listeners to understand as well is governing is hard work. I mean, just look at our <laughs> look at the House of Representatives right now. They can't pick a, I'd rather know, a speaker not. of the House. But <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> I would rather not too. But I just think that is a, an important piece that, you know, the boards are representing the communities and the community's values and inter- interests. And that is always a challenge for any governing body. But I think that that we, you know, generally our boards govern through the development of policy, right? And so one of the services that we provide for them is to help them in the development of that policy. And we know that, in fact, this has been an issue that has been trending over the last couple of years and have been working with firm, our law firm and our staff on developing a process and policy around um, uh, book issues. You know, at the at the end of the day, um, that is is an is an is an important issue. But from a board perspective, mm-hmm. um, what really is important for them are the outcomes and the academic improvements for our students. And Larry, what are you seeing with um, all of this uh, arguing over uh, which books are allowed uh, in schools and which are not? You know, I think the language about representing the community is misleading. Because, of course, the community is not one thing. So when Toni Morrison, iconic African-American um, novelist, is banned from schools, libraries, that's not just, you know, we're making room for more books. That is denying um, students of all colors the opportunity to learn about the history of race in America. And Toni Morrison, you know, if you've read her work, you know, you, you marvel at her ability to weave in the most epic tragedies um, into, you know, glorious um, uh, events as well. 
So that's what's happening here. We, we hear about um, kind of let's get more parents' rights. We have to think critically about those words because this is not just casual. These are poll-tested words. And then ask, why does that matter? And I think in the case of books, you know, leaving that to teachers and to librarians, not a bad idea. When you get parents involved who coming from a political or ideological uh, position, it's going to re- it's going to reduce the diversity of thought, not expand it. And Larry, I know you wanted to talk about um, the Minnesota Data Practices Act and transparency. And, and what do you want to say about that as it pertains to school boards? Well, this is part of the ongoing issue that we've seen in Minnesota and other states where the effort, understandable and laudable, of parents getting involved in, in schools has led to uh, efforts to puncture um, the, the teaching plans of teachers and an interest in, okay, what is actually being presented in a classroom um, and the interest of parents in monitoring that and influencing it. So we have saw, for instance, in Owatonna back in 2021, conservative group filed a data practices request, and it identified, you know, close to a million documents. Um, now, it doesn't really matter what their intent was. The way the, the act is written, they have that right. But on the other hand, it really uh, was an incredible burden on the school, um, and it detracted from the ability to teach. There's no doubt about it. That may have been the, the intent was to kind of um, – to intimidate or influence teachers of what they were providing in terms of equity and inclusion um, and and other issues that are now very political. We're talking about uh, school board seats, uh, the upcoming election, uh, November 7th. Uh, Lots of uh, communities will have uh, candidates for school board on the ballot. So we're talking about why these seats are important. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's go to Anoka County and talk to John. Good morning, John. Thank you for calling in. And what do you want to share with us? Good morning, Angela. Thanks for having me. Uh, really, what I want to talk about there's there's another dimension to these races and to a lot of these aligned groups that uh, that's happening. Um, there's a pretty aggressive anti-union rhetoric out there from some of the conservative groups. I'm up here in Anoka County. Of course, we have the largest, school, most of the largest school district in the state with Anoka mm-hmm. Hennepin, and probably one of the hottest races. Um, and one of the candidates running actually was a former teacher in the district and has a reputation for suing. Uh, was as sue the union several times. Uh, in addition, you're seeing something down in Hastings where uh, I believe last year uh, the service workers, the lunch folks, struck for two weeks, um, tangling with the board down there, which saw a lot of conservative folks. And so the kids didn't get lunch for two weeks while these, these sort of union tangles up were happening. And that's obviously resulting in, number one, the teachers union getting more involved, but you're actually seeing other unions getting involved too. So the, the AFL-CIO, uh, SEIU and I believe uh, AFSCME are all getting involved in these races where, like was mm-hmm. like you mentioned before, you haven't really seen this level of involvement from the unions previously. Mm. Thank you. That's John in Anoka County. Uh, another listener calling in from uh, Anoka. This is Aaron on the line. Good morning, Aaron. What do you want to tell us about uh, school boards? Um, I'm currently on the Anoka Hennepin School Board and um, Uh, First of all, thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I think is really important when we're talking about school boards, um, I don't want everybody to think the same way I do, and I don't want everybody to just listen to people who agree with them. 
I want every school board member to, to listen to each other, to work together, to talk together, um, because I think it's a good thing to have board members with varied outlooks. It makes us think long and hard about the decisions we make, makes us question our own biases, um, really makes us be thoughtful. Um, the problem we run into is when we have board members who aren't willing to work together. Um, mm-hmm. I try really hard to work with everybody, but it's not always reciprocated. And um, when we look at, at these people that are up for election in every school district, we really need to ask them, are you willing to work with the other board members, even if you don't agree? And Erin, did you get any training uh, to specifically about or coaching on like, how do you uh, collaborate? How do you have like civil discussions with the goal of like, let's just reach a, you know, find some common ground. Has that been part of your training? Um, well, not initially when I came on uh, school board, um, I came on right right before the pandemic hit. So that was mm-hmm. <laughs> made it really hard to uh, interact with people thoughtfully and um, very often. Um, however, I have done some training through the Minnesota School Board Association. Um, and this election cycle, I've been working with the School Board Integrity Project, um, which actually works on that and really I mean, talks about the importance of being on the school board and the collaborative nature of it. All right. That's uh, Aaron there in Anoka. Thank you for calling in. Let's go to Minneapolis and talk to Melissa. Melissa, what do you want to tell us about uh, school boards? What's your experience? Yes. Good morning. Um, That was a great jump off point with the other caller. What I was going to say, I'm actually just coming off of a three-year term with a public charter school on their board. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, some pre-existing dysfunction um, probably fuels a lot of the polarization that we're seeing now. Um, while all board members did undergo training, um, as we're practicing, you know, or ex- executing our roles, navigating how to engage the community and the administration um, functionally, constructively, substantively, those are really important skills. And if that's already not working, um, and you go into a charged issue like books and what mm-hmm. teachers are teaching, it just escalates in a way that's really not necessary if you have a functioning relationship between the part, you know, all stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult to come by, I think. I, I think maybe more accountability, more training would be helpful. And then just in terms of transparency, not only parents having access to curriculum, but the board being actively engaged, as well as the administration, just talking to families about what we're doing on a daily basis. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, our kids are being educated outside of all the polarization and political um, conflict. And a lot of magic is happening. And so if we tell those stories openly, I think it would make for just a more successful board and ultimately more successful teachers and students. Mm, thank you. Melissa calling in from Minneapolis. Uh, in Winona, uh, Morella is on the line. Good morning, Morella. What do you want to say about school boards? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I ran for school board for the first time ever last year, mm-hmm. and I lost. Um, I lost to two incumbents, but I really want to encourage um, people of marginalized, who are considered marginalized populations, whether that is in the context of race or gender identity or LGBTQIA plus status, to run because our kids need that representation. Um, and if you are not a part of one of those populations, but you are aware of the needs and the 
daily experiences and the lived experiences of people, Mm -hmm. um, your voices are needed and your action is needed on school boards. Um, So that's what really concerns me. And living in in a small town, I consider a small town. I was born and raised in New York City, Mm -hmm. but um, that there are not enough voices um, to reflect what's happening, what those populations, what those students are experiencing in our schools. Yeah, important decisions are being made, but the representation on the board, um, you know, may not reflect that, you know, um, experience that would be needed to to make these, yeah, these decisions. Thank you, uh, Morella there and Monona. Larry, I want to ask you a question. I keep running into the word culture wars as I read about uh, politics and elections. Define culture wars and and what does that have to do with, with school board elections? You know, not that long ago, we used to have wars over taxes and spending. You may remember Ronald Reagan going after Democrats for being the tax and spend party. And then um, even before Reagan, but um, much more so now, we're seeing social issues uh, relating to marriage and reproduction and sexual identity coming to the fore. Um, you know, I think both political camps have had a role in it, um, but the conservatives have really put it front and center. So, you know, Barack Obama's front and center health reform and the Affordable Care Act and front and center for George Bush um, and for Mitt Romney and for uh, Donald Trump um, and, and the current class of presidents, presidential candidates on the Republican side. It's about, you know, do we allow trans um, students have access to bathrooms or should that be restricted? And, you know, these issues that are not, you know, you would say from the Reagan perspective, these are not the core issues regarding spending and military and taxes. Um, they are the culture wars. Uh, and so we're, we're not seeing as much debate about um, the big, you know, kind of nation shaping um, bread and butter uh, type topics that we mm-hmm. once did see and that, you know, remain vital. And we just have 30 seconds uh, left here. And, and Kirk, I just want you to maybe just remind people about why they should pay attention and, and maybe, you know, do some research before they vote for their school board members coming up in, in November. Yes, absolutely. And I, I would just say, look, I mean, you've, you, the, the, the local races are your school board members are most respected people because they are the ones you're seeing in the grocery store or seeing them at the post office. You have immediate contact with them. Um, and, and I would say our school board members are willing and uh, able to listen to the community mm-hmm. um, through whether it's the board meeting or other opportunities through email and community calls or whatever. But I would say is l- Take a look at the League of Minnesota Women Women Voters website. There's a number of recorded uh, town hall Mm -hmm. voter guides. And then also get in your own one. Go to your own ones. Find out what your board members are, what their perspective and vision is for their public schools. Thank you to our guests and to uh, all of our listeners who called in. I appreciate hearing from you. We've been talking with Kirk Schneiderwin, the executive director of the Minnesota School Boards Association, and Larry Jacobs, a politics professor at the University of Minnesota. This conversation was produced by Matt Alvarez. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk again Monday morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.